Well, welcome back. Accordion Brat, my name is Pete Contino. It's a continuation of my father's story. Um, this he gets into the army thing, man. This is when the uh, the draft comes up. He's dealing with all the uh, anxiety around it. I'm sure people have their own opinions and everything, and and you know their own critiques, whatever. But um, it's just cool to hear my father's side of the story, man. You know, he he tells it like it is. <clears throat> Maybe he was in a position where he could um, do something, but who knows, man? Who knows? I don't, I'm not. You know, I, I'm I'm listening to this. I just listened to this episode um, just now before I recorded this. And, it's you know, I get caught up into it, man. You know, just hearing him talk about all this stuff. Anyway, we're going to get right into it. This is uh, this is Dick Contino's story. He's getting into it, you know, with the draft and blah, 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 and all the stuff that goes with it. All right. See you on the other side of this. in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Nicolette Hotel. My Uncle Tony called up and says, you got your final draft notice. They want you to report for induction in two weeks. My folks thought, well, guess you got to go in the Army. I had a manager then by the name of Leonard Rome from New York. I remember clearly being in the room there at the hotel, about 20 years old. And I says, I can't do it. I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? I can't. I need to see a psychiatrist. That's the first time that those words ever came out of my mouth with anybody. A psychiatrist? Yeah, I've got these, these mental problems I can't deal with. I can't go in. Oh, but by this time, the fucking draft board, you know, they figure he's got his ace in the hole now. First, he tried to claim he was going to be operated on. He went to try to claim dependence. He tried to claim whatever. Now, this successful bastard at 20 years old has got the world by the tail. He doesn't want to give that up and serve his country. Jesus Christ. Good thing I wasn't being tried for fucking murder, man. Talk about people not understanding. Or anyway, let's uh, get ahead of my story. So Leonard decides, well, I guess let's check around. Who's like right there in Minnesota, Minneapolis? So whoever was in 1950, the dean of psychiatry at the University of Minnesota, made an appointment to see him. So I went and thought, maybe this man could help me so I can go in. How about that shit? So I could go in and serve in the Army, get it over with. So I uh, sat down with him. Just, just I forget his name. But uh, I told him my anxiety since I was as far back as I could remember. Phobias, anxieties, whatever you want to call them. I hadn't heard those words, phobias and anxieties. And one word I hadn't heard or expression ever was 
what he told me I had. He says, he listened and he says, you're not fit for duty. You have what we call in our profession a severe case of neurosis. that man. I said, you mean there is such a thing where people understand that you have a, a problem even though it's invisible? If it's something that's, that's not a broken arm or a broken leg or eardrum or cyst on your spine? Or... He says, oh yeah. He says, and it's treatable. So he says, I'm going to write you a letter. When you go to be inducted, you take this letter with you to the drop, to the induction center, and uh, you're not you're not fit for duty. Whew. That seemed to be such a fantastic relief. I took the letter and I, I was so happy. You know, it seemed like like so happy because I had years of just fear, anticipation. So when I went to had the report to induction, I. I went up and I said, I told him the, the story briefly. You know, that this, the dean of psychiatry gave me this letter and I could picture everything so vividly. So vividly, you know. I, uh, so that, I was speaking to this one psychiatrist at the induction center, and he excused himself for a minute, and he came back with three, two other psychiatrists. And they sat down like a fucking jury, and they said, now will you tell us what you told this psychiatrist in Minnesota? I was very relieved. I thought they really want to listen. So I told them, I went back to the first grade, St. Alphonsus, when I ran out of the classroom and ran home, when I felt this terrible thing, this anxiety, insecurity. From that all the way up to whatever the present was, they said, yeah, we concur that uh, you're not fit for duty. We'll give you a letter, take it to Fort Ord. Oh my God, this is... But I felt something intuitively that wasn't comfortable. Like something was wrong. It wasn't going to be that easy. I was on the train that night going to Fort Ord, Fresno, or wherever we were, L.A. I was going with my mom and Uncle Tony. My dad, mom, dad, Uncle Tony. It was like... Uh, I didn't have the complete assurance, even though I had this letter. It, it was like something wasn't quite right. Well, I don't know. I heard rumors to get ahead of my story. I heard rumors after all this that Height had gotten, he still was carrying a vendetta about my breaking up with him. And, Something I heard that this could be false. Make sure this this this, this guy is inducted or some shit hit the um, the one in charge of the state of California for uh, you know for for induction. 
this, this military man was a good friend of his. And it's like I found out later that the, the, the rumors I had heard was he's trying to beat it, claiming uh, dependence and this and that. Now he's coming up with an ace in the hole because he probably bought that psychiatric evaluation. Starting with Minnesota, just heard all these. Because when I got the Ford Ord, they started putting me through all these tests. It took between six, seven hours. And uh, at one point I said, you know, I, I said, I don't think I'm insane. I said, I, I just have a problem that I wish somebody could understand. There was a major Duncan. My mom and dad were out, outside the office. He stood to me and he said, Look, Contino, let's cut out the bullshit. You're already inducted. I didn't stop to think that I hadn't been sworn in. I didn't stop to think I was still a civilian. I thought automatically, I'm there at Fort Ord, I'm inducted. No, no, no oath, none of that. Just there, I'm inducted. I let out a scream and fell to the floor. I was so goddamned frightened. My father had to come in and see me on the goddamn floor and pick me up like a fucking invalid. And, and, and Duncan saying, if you don't stop this, if you don't stop this, I'm calling the MP. If you don't stop this, I'm calling the MPs. Well, one fear seemed to be greater than the other. Incarceration in a small room as opposed to incarceration away from family in all of Fort Ord. Woo! Shut up, Richard. Shut up. Calm down. Strange thing happened that same day. Uh, I guess only psychiatrists know how that works. I'm glad I don't know, but I can try to live in another dimension that says, fuck it. Strange thing happened. I started feeling good. Hey. Whoa. Matter of a couple hours later, I felt like, well, maybe that's all I needed all my life for somebody to say, you cut out this shit right now. Well, that might have a good temporary effect. But man, it wasn't permanent. That night, my folks, they billeted them and the visitors, whatever, put me in a, in the, uh, where the, you know, the fuck do they call it, you know, the, all the other guys are in the barracks, barracks. That, that fear, that anxiety hit me. There was a, a good friend of mine, a combatant of mine named Tony Badami who was at Fort Ord at the time, and who later got discharged honorably on medical reasons because he was able to phony up. He's, his, his motive was just simply to get the fuck out of the army, eh? so he pretended he was nuts. He got, he got discharged on a Section 8, they call it. But the reason I mention his name is because I couldn't wait, you know, I, I put on my clothes in the middle of the night, I went and woke my folks up where they were staying. I said, I gotta get out of here. No, no. 
lot of people to this day think they talked me into staying. It was your mother, it was your father. They start crying. They start panicking. They got panicky. You can't do this. They'll put you in jail. You can't. I got to get out of here. I wasn't even sworn in yet. I got to get out of here. Where are you going to go? What are you going to... I went and got Tony Badani. Tony, how do I get out of here? What are you kidding? He didn't, you know, argue. He just figured he was... He figured, hey, if you want to get out of here, go. You know, I'll help you. So we... There I was, like two thieves. My folks are crying. Please don't, please don't, don't, don't even, don't cry, don't get panicky. I gotta leave. I gotta leave. We took out into the night. We crossed. The, I guess they thought we were, you know, civilians or whatever. So I, but yeah, I got totally paranoid. They were gonna come after me with the MPs and whatever. I wasn't even, I just, I didn't know. I didn't stop to think I wasn't even sworn in or I wasn't military and had every right to do what I was doing. Even the police couldn't touch me. I hadn't committed a crime yet. I'm hiding under this bridge. Man, we're hiding under the bridge. See car go by like cloak and dagger shit to go to the uh, NCO club across the bridge. I'm waiting outside, hiding. Tony goes in to... You know, he's going along with the whole program, you know. This is cloak and dagger, man. This is, you know. We offer the guy some money to, he's got a car, whoever's got a car, drive me to the bus depot in Monterey. Oh, then I'm sitting here, but he's got to get out of here. I go, I go to San Francisco. I got my Uncle Angelo there, my Aunt Lena. stop to think then that, you know, I'm without family and I'm not a raving maniac. It's weird about that goddamn phobia thing. Like, um, one fear overshadowing the other or something, I don't know. Anyways, on my way to I'd be I'm sitting there at the at the depot. I'd see policemen walk by, walk by, or MPs. I think they're they're looking for me. I hide. I'm, turn my face the other way. Finally, got on the bus, and I thought I'm on the bus going to San Francisco. I thought I can't go directly into San Francisco. They're probably waiting for me at the bus depot. How about that? They're waiting for me, man. So I tell the bus driver to let me off on the highway where there's some, you know, businesses or things that I can go to a phone call my Uncle Angelo. He'd come and get me. He's a super guy. Which he did. Called him. Hey, where are you? I said, wherever I was. I'll be right there. So he came to get me. My folks knew I was going there. So they, you know, they called. He called them. And they end up in San Francisco. What are we going to do? Uncle Tony, he, got, he drove up in the car from Fresno. He was going to drive me to drive us to Los Angeles. In the meantime, I was praying somebody understood. I, can't, I couldn't go in the Army. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Wow, was I confused. He 
you out there we drove us hiding in that car like you think I thought they were gonna drive up with highway patrol cars with guns drawn. Got to Los Angeles, didn't even go home. I stayed at Mr. Badami, Combatant Zul, Tony's uncle, Jimmy Badami. I thought they'd just forget about me. I'll just stay there the rest of my life. Didn't think about show business. Oh yeah, going back to Major Duncan, at one point, before I went mad, I says, Major Duncan, I says, I'll sign a piece of paper right now. I swear on everything sacred to me. I said, I'll sign a piece of paper right now if you could help me. I won't touch the accordion for five years. I swear to God, I swear to my wife, my mother. He ignored that. He's trying, trying to convince somebody, my, my honesty that way. Anyway, getting back to I'm at Badami's, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like war declared. Comes out in the paper. Contino missing from Port Ord. I don't mean something on the front page that was just incidental. This was fun. This was this was like uh, headlines. Oh my God! What do I do now? I'm still not going to go home. And uh, everybody's going, what is anybody going to do? What? One day, uh, listening to the radio, lying down on the bed, I heard a news report that the FBI had a warrant out for my arrest. So, we got whatever type of attorney we could find there. I'd never been in trouble that way. I didn't know who to contact. I thought, an attorney's an attorney. It doesn't have to be a, a sharp, witty guy. Just somebody that tells the truth. Somebody that'll just tell the truth. Nope. So anyway, he called, where we got, they called the office of the FBI and I was gonna surrender myself peacefully, you know. So I went in and surrendered, you know. I know exactly what happened at that particular point, except I found myself having to go to San Francisco because that's where the crime was committed in that jurisdiction. So I went up there, we knew the La Rocca family, they had this uh, place on the corner, this very popular bar in North Beach, all the Italians, you know, they were friends of ours, before the Horacite fame. Maybe they'd know an attorney. They recommended uh, James T. Davis. Well, he used to be a prosecuting attorney for the government. He must be pretty sharp, somebody they'd respect. Why not contact him? But this guy, with all due respect, I guess he wasn't sharp. Jeez, go ahead of my story for a second. There's 
I later uh, found out directly from, I think his name was Gershon, Gershon or Gershon, Gershon, whatever, out of L.A., very popular, very famous uh, crime attorney who later, you know, would tell people, he told me, I saw him one time, and after all this happened, he said, why didn't you contact me? You really, you, you, you fell into a bum rap. You shouldn't have done any time at all. But to get back to the story, we got T Davis. Man, talk about being scared with apprehension, the possibility of incarceration. Might get up to five years. court to be arraigned, it was like uh, Perry Mason's courtroom. You know, it was filled. Boy, as luck would have it, I was in front of a judge by the name of Murphy. Judge fucking Murphy, man. That's his first name, fucking Murphy. As luck would have it, just before, you know, my situation, these two fucking Cubans, or Puerto Ricans, whoever they were, you know, they, were, they weren't citizens. They were in front of him to be, because they were submitting a petition to become citizens of the United States based on, ready for this, their honorable service in the Korean conflict. Well, Murphy was so fucking impressed Look, I'm sorry, but I'm reliving the moments as far as emphasis. All these things I just sort of normally deal with from presently with whatever. Oh, you know, I'm not going to explain. I can deal with them now, but when you relive them, it's something else. Murphy, in lieu of their petition, and out of, you know, tribute. Asked the entire courtroom to stand up. I'm I was the next case. Asked the entire courtroom to stand up while he swore them in as U.S. citizens because they had served so honorably in the fucking Korean War. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well. Next case. <laughs> United States of America versus Richard J. Contino, draft evasion. <laughs> Mother fuck it, man. Well, I think if Murphy had a gun at that time, he would have leveled it and blown my fucking head off, okay? All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> man. Yeah, it gets pretty intense. I I liked when my dad got intense like that. He would start talking, man. He'd, he'd get very, you know, that's how we did when he played. He'd start talking. He would get very emotional and get into it. And <laughs> I like that. Anyway, all right. So um, next week we'll get into, uh, you know, he, he deals with some more stuff, man. He's, what a life. You know, he deals with the, uh, you know, McNeil Island and, and with the whole Korean War thing. Pretty wild. All right. Well, thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Thanks.